Matt, I uh, I have wanted to have you on the show for a very long time. I'm really uh, glad to be on the show. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of politics on my agenda for this week. <laughs> so I <Yeah>. thought, <laughs> I thought, who else? Who else? But this would be the week to invite you on for the first time. For people who don't know you, because this is your first time on the show, and you're you're Absolutely. you're. Your writing career is outside the the Apple sphere that that I tend to inhabit. That listeners of this show might be most familiar with. Tell people a little about yourself. Uh, I'm a political writer in Washington D.C. I've been uh, covering politics and economic policy here for probably 16 years now. Uh, but I'm also an Apple enthusiast, uh, a big fan of. Daring Fireball, big fan of the talk show. Uh, I had been feeling left out of the whole sort of Mac discourse because my um, my keyboard had been working fine, but just yesterday suddenly uh, it, it went it went wonky on me. So so now I could complain with everyone else about these butterfly keyboards. And which keyboard? Which model? So it's the MacBook Pro from 2017. Okay, uh, seven you know? or 13 or 15. 15, 15 inch. So no touch bar. <laughs> So literally the device that you could solve this problem by going out and buying a new $2,400. It's really it's, – it's enough to get you into the conspiracy theory. So it was, it was putting me in a bad mood and then Tim Cook goes and uh, does this weird photo op with Trump and it's, now I'm done. Oh, man. I have a new <laughs> – before we get into the, the other stuff, I have a new Apple product <laughs> that I can report. Okay. It is in my hand right now. I don't know if you saw this, but Apple this week shipped a new product. It is the iPhone's smart battery case for the iPhone 11 generation. Is it good? It is. And it, here's the interesting thing. They added a feature. So they've had these smart battery cases before, you know, and they've got the right. sort of weird hump on the back and you fold them over. And now, you know, clearly they need a new one for this new camera with a different cutout. This one comes with a dedicated camera button. Okay. It is recessed as opposed to sticking out. So, you know, like on these silicone cases that Apple makes, like they make fake buttons for the volume rockers and the power button that stick out. This is a right. button that is sort of – it's where you would expect a camera button to be. So it's on the same side as the power button but down, and it's recessed rather than sticking out. And from huh. any point, whether the phone is locked – unlocked whether you're using an app if you click the button it immediately jumps you to the camera app huh. and and then when you're in the camera app it works as a shutter that's a pretty good feature it is an amazing feature i am generally someone who doesn't use a case and when i do use a case i want one that's very thin and light uh, and i don't struggle to get through a day on a battery life with the iPhone 11 Pro, so I don't right. really need a battery case, but I am infatuated <laughs> with this button. Adding buttons, it shows there there is a new philosophy. Yeah. It's been I a want long the, time, right? Since they've been I, like, what we need is more buttons. I want this button uh, on the phone. I want them to, to add this to the phone and not just put it on the smart battery case. A hardware button on a phone. I, wow. You know... I, I realize they're never going to do that. I, I realize that. <laughs> Maybe but, after they finally get us the hardware keyboard, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really <laughs> kind of a fun little thing. And they have – it's sort of like a little delay. I mean I don't know. Somebody could probably measure it with like a super high-speed camera. But it's 
it's some fraction of a second, like maybe I'm going to guess two, 200 milliseconds. So maybe like uh, one fifth of a second, you have to press and hold the button before the camera app actually opens up because it's mm. clearly, clearly to prevent app accidental, like if it's jostling around in your purse or bag or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah that it won't just suddenly turn the camera on and then burn your battery down or, you know, while the, while it's, it's not being used. And it's just long enough that you can't quite just quick click and, uh, this is my, almost my entire review. You can't just <laughs> click it and let go and have the camera app open. You have to click it and hold, keep the finger on it for a fraction of a second. But if you think of it as a button that works, not by clicking and letting go, but by pressing to turn it on, mm -hmm. it is. It feels very fast. It launches the camera app almost instantly, but you can't just click it. There you go. Buttons. Yeah. That's my it's entire review. <laughs> um, and then they also saved American manufacturing. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It is absolutely um, amazing. Should, should, should we? Do we? Do we have to explain what actually happened here? So just making jokes. Well, I assume that people know, but we should explain it. Uh, I believe that the timeline on this, I'm sure it was in the works for weeks behind the scenes. But officially, I first yeah. became aware this Monday that the White House mm -hmm. issued a statement. It came from the White House, and they said that the you know President Trump is going to tour Apple's Mac Pro assembly plant in Austin, Texas on Wednesday. Uh, and that was pretty much it. There was no official word as to, you know, who from who, if anyone from Apple would be there, presumably, you know, it didn't take a genius to think Tim Cook would probably have to be there. You know, you can't really do yeah, it. Yeah, it's the, it's the president. Um, it, but that was very quick. So I, I, and ambitious reporter that I am, instantly got in contact with Apple to see if I could obtain a media pass for this event, huh. whatever it was. Uh, and I would have, if I had it, I was ready to try to, you know, book a flight to Austin Tuesday and, and be there. Um, did not, did not happen. I was not there. Uh, and basically what Apple told me was that all of the media passes are going through the white house and that if they okay. wanted to, they could maybe give me a phone number or something, but that seemed like, like explaining who I am and why, why I should go. <laughs> yeah. Too much. Yeah, and you know, I've got other stuff going on in Thanksgiving next week. I wasn't really looking forward to it, but it just seemed so momentous that I really wanted to be there and maybe see, you know, see what I could Yeah. what I could do, but I didn't. Uh but anyway, it did happen. <laughs> do you want to take it from here? <laughs> so it it happened and then they uh they went on the tour. They they shot a video. Uh Trump did a tweet. He said, "Today I opened a major Apple manufacturing plant." Texas that will bring high-paying jobs back to America. Today, Nancy Pelosi closed Congress because she doesn't care about American workers. Right, that was the yeah. the the crux of it. Um, so Nancy Pelosi has obviously not closed Congress. I, I, in general, I was <laughs> that's a, not a thing that happens. Yeah, and I was also under the impression that Congress has actually been pretty busy this week. <laughs> right. Uh, so they went on a a recess right at the at the end of the day on thursday they went on recess for the thanksgiving week right. so the members can go back home see their family see their constituents right. uh, very normal they were all week they were doing these impeachment hearings uh talking about crimes um but most importantly 
they weren't opening a new factory. No. Like at all. That's just made up. Right. This factory's been there since 2013, right? They right. Were making and, a, the, the old Mac Pros yeah, were made there. The trash it's can. It's not even an Apple factory. Nope. It's a company called Flex, F L E X. <laughs> Um, one of my friends quipped uh, in a private Slack group that they must be pretty flexible because they probably haven't been making many <laughs> Mac Mac Pros the last few years. Yeah, I got to imagine that was not doing uh, a ton of business. No, um, and you know, and and Cook Tim Cook he was right there, and uh, you know could could have said something. He could have maybe tweeted later, like a little clarification, uh, but nothing. Um, and it seems like, you know, uh, he's, he's happy to be a part of, of the Trump show, yeah. uh, in a way that, you know, I think, I mean, it's going to rub some people the wrong way just cause they don't like Donald Trump, but also, you know, me, you journalists, just like factually speaking, it's not what happened there. He, right. They didn't open a new Apple manufacturing plant. And also Trump's, trade policies almost made it impossible to assemble the computers there. Yes. And so it is a new assembly line, right? Like it's not right. like you can suddenly go from making the trash can 2013 Mac pro to these altogether new, even if it was a subtle tweak, it would need a new line, but it's a right. radical tweak. So there is a new assembly line in the plant uh they apple is does have a campus in austin where they do other things but not a, not manufacturing and assembly it's right. it's like like tech support like white collar jobs um well and, they, and they're they all, opening a second one yeah right? so that's, or, or, that's like the real thing that's happening they had right. one and now there's two Right, they're spending like a billion dollars to expand either expand the existing campus or open a new one it's hard, you know whatever you it, they're close yeah. enough to each other that you know <laughs> I don't know what you count as the same campus or not, but they are building a billion dollars worth of, you know, campus there and they will be hiring people to work there. Mm -hmm. um, but it is not manufacturing jobs or not new ones. And again, uh, all of that matters, or at least it should matter to those of us who, right. <laughs> who both try to report things truthfully and who value the truth in what they read about the world. But uh, seeing this, you could have seen this coming. I saw this coming a mile away that Trump was going to claim that this was. A, I'm almost surprised he didn't claim that they were on the cusp of assembling the Mac Pro in China until he swept in and and did yeah. this. I, it, it's <laughs> and Apple, you know, has been playing this probably since 2016. I mean, uh, well, I I don't know. I forget the timeline on the Mac Pro, but. I guess it was 2017 when they had the the, the special. Hey, we're going to do a new Mac Pro, and here's the future Pro right. Mac hardware. Um, but it's they, you know, and Apple is Apple. It's even Trump aside, they don't talk about things until they're ready to say it. So, but it's and they don't like to explain their back thinking. And so, whatever their plan B was for where to assemble these, I think it's obvious. Plan A all along was that they would continue what they started in 2013 and assemble these very low quantity high-end Mac Pro computers in Austin where they had started them in 20. That was their plan all and, along. Right. Well, and it, it always seemed like the Mac Pro in Texas thing was in part a political gesture, 
Right, yes. that they wanted to say yeah. they had a product that was made in the USA. They don't sell that many Mac Pros. Uh, they are selling to a price insensitive clientele. I mean, these things cost a ton of money, right? Yeah. Uh, so they you know, still if, won't tell you, really. To... They have like a starting right. price of $5,000 in a configuration almost nobody who needs a Mac Pro is going to be happy with. Right. Yeah. So if you have to further pad the margins, whatever, it's it's not a big deal, right? And yeah. it lets them make the statement, right? And all their products, the laptops, the iPhones, the iPads that that move real volume and where it, it really makes a difference to them economically, that's, you know, they're parts of it are actually made in America, but yeah. primary assembly is in Asia. And, you know, so it's not it never seemed like they would have wanted to move it out of there. And it's not totally unusual to sort of be trying to make nice uh, with, with politicians to some extent uh, yeah. by, by having it here. But it's very it's very tied in to actually needing to work with Trump or curry favor with Trump on some other policy questions, because uh, like even to get this plan off the, the line, they had to ask for waivers so that they could import the components because I, I guess a lot of the the silicon and, and other stuff that's uh, in the Mac Pro still comes from Asia. So, right. you know, they would have to pay tariffs on it. That would make it even more expensive. But Trump gave them a bunch of waivers. So that's why they're doing it there. Um, and it's, I mean, it, it's backwards to say it's like a Trump policy success. Right. It's, uh, I think as I wrote it, it I don't know, I already, can't, I already can't quote myself, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the basic idea is that it, it, it opened not because of Trump's trade policies, but despite Trump's trade policies right. and specifically needed exemptions from them. I mean, they call them waivers, but waivers are it's just another word for exemption, right? They're exempt right. from tariffs that they otherwise would have had to pay. And of course, all of these things, you know, are made all around the world, but stuff like SSDs and RAM, I think only comes from Asia. I don't, I don't think there's anywhere to source, you know, DDR4 RAM from American made manufacturer. Of course, it's from all over the world. Um, right. And so it would have been a lot more seamless in the hypothetical world where anybody else, anybody, any other major candidate had won the 2016 election, not just Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or – I mean I don't know. Who was second place in Republicans? Probably Ted Cruz. Yeah, you know, I mean Cruz, in the alternate Rubio, world – John Kasich. Yeah. None of them would have done this. None of them would have done this. None. There would have been none of these tariffs and this – they still might have had a dog and pony show about the new assembly line here in Texas because like you said, it is a politically good move to be saying, Hey, you know, we're Apple and everybody, you know, we're this big successful American company and we are putting jobs, you know, blue collar jobs right here in the United States. And, and on the, on the, on the, the, before I leave that, how politically positive that message is for mainstream America, that was actually the subject of Tim Cook's first, on-camera interview as CEO. So Steve Jobs passed away in, at the end of 2011. Um, mm -hmm. And I forget what time it was, but it was sometime in 2012 uh, where Tim Cook appeared on whatever the evening 60 Minutes show is that NBC has with Brian Williams. Uh, and among, <laughs> among many other things that have changed since 2012, Brian Williams' stature... <laughs> 
at NBC News has changed. <laughs> Although I still like him. I actually like him a lot and feel like he kind of got a bad rap over the whole exaggerating some stories thing. But but anyway, in an interview with Brian Williams, it was sort of like, hey, why don't you make any of these computers here in the U.S.? And Tim right. Cook's answer is, well, we're going to change that. you know. And it was a positive message. You know, it wasn't untrue. I'm not saying it was BS. You know, it kind of... You have to know. I mean, in mainstream America has no idea that the Mac Pro sells like one thousandth of as, as many <laughs> items as MacBooks, which is what everybody right. really thinks of when they think of Macs. And Mac MacBooks sell like one twentieth what they sell iPhones. I mean, the numbers right. on iPhones are ridiculous. I mean, but it is something. It is a real thing, and they're doing it. And yeah. it was so positive that that was Tim Cook's first on you know camera interview on national TV as the CEO. Uh, was to deliver that message. So it's definitely positive. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, this is not like the first time either that, that Apple has sort of uh, partnered, uh, I guess, with, with the Trump administration around this stuff. There was this, it was it was kind of smaller, but back in uh, last year, um, early, early 2008, they um, sort of put out this press release saying that thanks to the tax cuts uh, that had passed the previous December, they were going to contribute $350 billion uh, to the American economy. And then, you know, if you if you dig into it, it was like, I mean, Apple's a big company, right? Like they, they do a lot of stuff. It's, it's totally true that they, you know, support people's incomes and jobs, but it had nothing to do with the the tax bill. Um, even just the timeline didn't make sense, right? I mean, Apple doesn't, um, uh, a law doesn't pass in December, and then by January, Apple has a whole new business plan, right? They work on these products on a, on a years-long timeline, uh, but, you know, the, the Trump administration, this was their signature thing. Uh, the tax bill really did give a large tax cut to Apple's shareholders. Yes. Uh, so I'm sure Tim Cook was, was very happy about that. It's, it's yeah. good for the share price. It's good for the dividends. Uh, and then, you know, they kind of tried to make it out to be the, the the press release has a picture of like some guy with a huge uh, sheet metal you know fabrication plant right trying to say apple is part of the american blue collar economy uh which you know i mean it, it may or may not be to some extent but it's it's nothing to do with with donald trump uh except they do they do they do like the corporate tax cut uh, I, I think they were the single biggest uh recipient of tax cuts there. I mean, just because it's such a large company. Well, and it's, it's specifically because Apple was in a very unique situation where they had, uh, I think, literally hundreds of hundreds of billions of dollars off uh, outside the US. Because in right. there, you know, and I don't want to argue the politics of it. But our Apple's argument was, you know, for years, people have been saying, well, why don't you just bring the money in the country and pay your damn taxes, right? There's there's a yep. huge pay your damn, why don't you pay your damn taxes movement, rightly so. Yep. You know, the news just came out last week that Amazon is going to pay, apparently going to pay zero dollars in taxes on $11 billion in profit. Right. Uh, you know, that was I, part of Apple's argument was always they, they did pay taxes, right. just not, you know, <laughs> right. not all their taxes. Right, but Apple have had this mountain of cash. I think it was literally like $250 billion in cash. Yep. Uh, just sitting in like a bank in Ireland that they it's money that they had made selling products around the world and they just kept them in the bank accounts of international subsidiaries and yep. thanks to the law that the Trump passed you know in 2016 I think it was one of the first things that that he and the Republican Congress did Apple was able to move that money back in the country without paying taxes on it and that's 
Is that a tax cut? I would argue yes. It is just not the type of tax cut you tend to think of. You tend to th- I tend to think of tax cuts as applying to they pass the tax cut and then you start benefiting from it. Or if it's a tax increase, you start paying it on stuff that you do from that point forward, right? So they pass the tax cut and then Apple saves money on their profits after the tax cut was paid. This mm-hmm. was a tax cut where they save money on, on they save money on revenue that or profit that they generated for, you know, 10 to 20 years. Yeah, I mean they I mean they did get that that huge windfall, right? Because they had been essentially keeping this money in their mostly Irish subsidiary anticipating that some kind of discount repatriation would happen. But they also did on a, on a forward-looking basis. I mean, they're uh, you know, investor reports say their their forward looking effective tax rate will yeah. fall by about ten percentage points. Um, yeah, that's, and, you know, I mean that's that's it, a lot. It's not a coincidence, right? I mean, yeah, I mean this is the you know intention of the policy. It's supposed to make American companies more attractive, put more money into them. Uh, but you know, in general, if you were trying to sort of um, think of a American company that uh, if its profit margins went up a little bit, they could finally make something happen. You know, Apple's not like the <laughs> example you would right. choose, right? Uh, I, I I enjoy their products. I, I like my all my eye stuff. Uh, but they have enjoyed very healthy margins on right. these things. And they had more money than, you know, than anybody knew what to do with. Right. And also, I mean, it always seems like Apple's expansion, right? They're a their their ability to take on new projects is not limited by financial resources. No. It's limited no. by a corporate philosophy of focus. Yep. Right. Like like they could go make a speaker set, but like you know they didn't want to, and then they make the HomePod. Right. right? It's like it's it's not really about money or or taxes or or anything. It's no. about how, how they how they're structured. They're they're by far and away most biggest constraint is uh, talent. They just don't have right. and band and then and then I would argue at the same point the bandwidth of upper management where there's only so many people who are truly you know running the company they can only they mm-hmm. can only supervise so many product projects products whatever you want to say and, they and they, money is not the problem they if money were the problem right. man they they'd have they'd have everything by now. <laughs> They'd have a car. And they don't they'd... split stuff off, right? Like, like a lot of companies are just these kind of big conglomerates, and some guy will just run some unit off there with nothing to do with anybody else. But Apple's not like that. It's a very integrated management team, right? On a top level, they have a design department, right, that handles everything. And so, as you say, it means they only have bandwidth to do so much at once to take on so many new kinds of things um which is good i mean it's it's why they maintain you know a generally consistent high quality except for this fucking keyboard um (laughs) but (laughs) you know but but like it's why it's so striking it's why people have been talking about it for years uh but anyway you know there's there's just no reason to think that that uh, apple's not a good political uh case for this tax bill but they were one of the biggest winners uh and they they really went all out to try to make make Trump look good on it. And then the bigger thing, though, is not the tariff waivers they got to build the Mac Pro, but the tariff waivers they're asking for, for new tariffs that aren't going to come in until December 15th. But in theory, all this stuff, AirPods, MacBooks, 
iPhones, iPads, probably even this battery case is all going to be hit with the, the next round of tariffs on Chinese imports. And that would be a disaster for Apple. It's uh, and again, it's a little, little outside my realm, but <laughs> I, I read Ben Thompson. Ben Thompson had a great piece, a uh, mm-hmm. strategy uh, daily update. Uh, just, I, my last few days have been it's been weird. I forget if it was yesterday or the day before, but I think it was yesterday. And I think basically analysts think that if the tariffs, December 15th tariffs come in and apply to Apple as they would right now without a waiver, mm-hmm. it would require them to raise the retail price of their products by about 5% if they wanted to maintain the same profit margins. Right. Um, I think it's very clear. I think Apple considers pricing to be such a strong part of the brand of its products that they would probably keep the prices the same and take the hit on the margin. But one yeah. way or the other, it's bad news because clearly uh, you raise the price, it's going to affect demand. I mean, that's literally like first day of economics 101. And uh-huh. uh, you people do not – Apple has conditioned investors – to expect 38% profit margins every quarter, quarter after quarter. It's actually, in my opinion, rather uncanny how (laughs) consistent their margins are. I don't think there's any funny business on that because of all the things that you would fudge – in financial statements, the actual, you know, the fluctuation of the profit margin is not one of them. That I've never heard right. of anybody, you know, going to jail for an SEC violation because they fudge the profit margins. I mean, you fudge yeah. revenue or you fudge profit, but thirty-seven and a half to thirty-eight percent every single quarter after quarter after quarter. And sometimes they'll even offer guidance and they'll say, "Ah, oh, we might we might be down to thirty-six next quarter." You guys <laughs> be worried. And then here the results come out. 37.7% profit margin. It is unbelievably consistent. But like you said, with 37% profit margin across the board, it's kind of hard to be sympathetic to them that they, you know, that they're on the razor's edge. <laughs> and, yeah. And... <laughs> well, also, I mean, this is why it's politically interesting, right? I mean, this I, to get a little outside the, the talk show normal yeah. ambit, right? So it's like Trump, he wants to do a trade war with China. Right. So he, he's putting tariffs on all kinds of things. And then he has to watch his domestic politics because tariffs can raise prices for American consumers. Right. And if you go to the store to buy Christmas presents for your kids and everything suddenly costs 10, 15 percent more, like you're going to be pissed. You're going to you're going to yell at Donald Trump. Uh, that's not going to help him. So if you think about it, probably like the best company to hit with these tariffs would be Apple. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because as you say, Apple has huge profit margins, right? So they can actually afford to just pay the tariff. Like they're not going to be happy about it. But, you know, they always talk in their in their earnings calls. I I don't know. Do you do you get on the earnings calls? No. There's always some section about exchange rate. Yes. Because this is a similar thing. Right. So if the dollar gets weaker, gets stronger compared to the euro, then they make less money selling uh, selling the phones and stuff there. They normally don't adjust the prices year to year. They have what they think is the right price for a flagship phone in in Europe, the right price for for a MacBook. And they stick to it because. I mean, I don't know. You know, Apple just doesn't do a lot of price shenanigans, right? There's no, no, like, Black Friday sales usually, at least not for major stuff. So their margins go up and down, and they live with it, right? Um, Unless there's a huge change. Um, So if they got the tariff, like, they would just pay the tariff. 
and it would be a ton of money because they sell a ton of freaking phones. Right. Um, and if you were Trump, you might think, okay, like that's a that's a trade war success story, right? right. I am now telling Apple, hey, look, if you want to get your margins back up, you need to find a way to make this stuff in America. But what what Ben Thompson pointed out was that, you know, Tim Cook has been sounding really confident yes that he's gonna get these waivers um and you have to imagine that that was in the mix for these conversations here uh you never know i mean there's not the impeachment hearings uh but you know how explicit was the quid pro quo who yeah. knew what what kind of little message were being sold but it, it really seems like that is the game here that you know yeah. Tim Cook would really like waivers for the whole rest of the Apple product line. Trump is inclined to give them to him if Apple can do him some favors. Tim Cook is a very hard character to read. I would be terrified to play poker against him, even if we set table, (laughs) even if we set the table stakes at a limit that I'm comfortable with, you know, putting aside that Tim Cook going all in would be a lot more than I can go all in for. I'm just saying that if we were playing poker, I would be terrified to play with him because I don't think you could get a read on him one way or the other. The guy, it really has a poker face. Uh, and I want to, I'll come back to that in a bit, but in a way, you know, in a way he's the opposite of Steve Jobs where Steve Jobs was very easy to read and really had a, had a very hard time hiding his true emotions. Yes. Uh, Tim Cook, does and he also is very careful. I, I would say that that is, you know, by all accounts, one of the first adjectives anybody would ever apply to him. He's a very careful, cautious person. He chooses his words in public. You can almost see him thinking about them. They're very cautious, and and they often mm-hmm. come across as very anodyne if he wants them to be, where there's just not mm-hmm. much there there. Um, and again, it does, like you said, it comes down to some of the stuff with the quid pro quo stuff where, you know, and, and, you know, Trump is literally, and his defenders literally want to say, well, he never actually said the words quid pro quo and never even heard of them before. Uh, so uh, therefore there couldn't have been a quid pro quo, even though it's just, it's just a word. He asked for a thing in exchange for another thing, which is (laughs) quid pro quo. That's the meaning of it. Right. Uh, so yeah, I get that. I so I don't listen to the earnings calls, but I always read the transcripts afterwards. That's my thing is I can't, they go too slow for me, so I I uh uh yeah. I just wait and the people who bang out the transcripts uh like Jason Snell, they have them out so fast that I feel like I haven't even lost anything even if something really important happened in it. I'm only like an hour behind. <laughs> right. But you read it, right. you read his answer and it didn't it didn't seem like a like the the most famous example. People keep bringing it up, but there's the famous example of like in a protection racket, uh, the uh-huh. local mob comes into your flower shop uh, and says, uh-huh. "This is a real nice flower shop you got here. You know, be a shame if something <laughs> happened to it. You know, maybe you want to yep. maybe you want to protect it." Uh, they didn't <laughs> they say anything, yeah. right? And then you know you bust them. You say we got a recording of it, and you're like, "Yeah, I just like going into shops and telling them how nice they are." And I really would think uh-huh. it's a shame <laughs> if something happened to it, right? But that's a threat. That's a you know, uh, Cook doesn't talk like that. So like Cook's confidence right. is easy to overlook, but you really just look at it. And as Ben pointed out, he really did seem to be saying, "Yeah, don't worry about that." <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I think we're going to be okay on these waivers and. You know, uh, it, 
you know, seems like they delivered their end. Uh, yep. And you know, it's, 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 it's part of a bigger problem, I think, for Apple going forward, given how invested they are in manufacturing in China. Um, it leaves them vulnerable to this kind of stuff from Trump, uh, but also uh, the the whole U.S.-Chinese relationship is is going downhill uh, for reasons that are that are bigger than Trump, right? There's this constant uh, now a concern about this this Chinese company Huawei that makes, I mean, they make phones, but they also make all this networking infrastructure. Yeah. Um, a lot of the the Democrats running for for president are not, you know, enthusiastic free traders. Uh, and then, of course, the Chinese themselves have been, you know, making trouble uh, yeah. with the, the what was it the, the Taiwanese flag yep. um, this Hong Kong app um, you know all the tech companies deal with this in one way or another but you know Facebook doesn't really operate nope. in China and, and Apple really operates in China like both on the sales and the production side right. uh, and you know I mean Cook is not I, I guess he's not sweating this, this round of tariffs but he's taking a lot of crap from people over it uh, I think Rightly so, and you know you have to wonder uh, how they're how they're thinking about this for the for the longer term because like Trump may pass, but I don't think you know U.S. China tensions are going to, and the the Chinese government you know uh, this is like way outside my area, but they they don't seem to be getting any nicer. No, they do not. Um, right. Yeah. Um, there was also, and it's it's a side issue and maybe coincidental, but did you see this a couple of months ago? There was a Google-led team of researchers issued a report on a vulnerability in iPhones, and that it, long story short, they didn't name the country, but it came out afterwards that it was the Chinese government was using it to using this exploit to target people with the in this Uyghur situation uh, in China, where this right. is a group of people who. Millions of people, and they've got, you know, China is putting them into concentration camps. I mean, that's no exaggeration. It, it's really just awful. The New York Times has done a bunch of reporting on it recently about the conditions in these camps. Um, and Apple issued a press response to this Google story, which was, to me, tone deaf because it, mm. it really didn't express any sympathy to the Uyghur people whom it was used against, it was sort of, well, it didn't happen in the U.S. It was only the Uyghurs. I mean, again, I'm paraphrasing here, but the gist of right. it was it's only these Uyghurs in China who were actually affected by it, and we fixed it, and Google conveniently didn't mention that it affected Android phones too, uh, right. and Android phones are more popular in China than the iPhone or something, you know, something right. to that effect. Yeah, I mean, it was a good, it was a good slap back at Google. Yeah. Like narrowly, right? But but also Apple is the company that's trying to sell us on privacy yeah, features, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's like their pitch, and it's like a reasonable pitch, but yeah. it means that, you know, showing up flaws in it, you know, it, it means a lot. And also, as you say, right, I mean, so this is uh, the, the Uyghur population. It's like 10 million people. They're Muslims. They speak a, a Turkic language instead of a Chinese language, and uh, – I mean, if you if you read this stuff uh, in the Times and elsewhere, it's it's totally appalling. I mean, they're trying to completely stamp out yeah. uh, this culture, this this society, and yeah, I mean, it's not in the United States, um, but and and I don't know how much Apple or anyone 
outside of China could actually do about it. But like uh, any decent person, I think, would not want to be involved in any way yeah. in this kind of crackdown. If there's if there's anything at all you can do. I, and so my 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 point on this issue with the Uyghur thing and the security vulnerability and this sort of callous or or not maybe not callous but just unsympathetic uh, mm-hmm. public response is that if you're looking for signs that Apple is going out of its way not to even potentially anger Chinese government officials, you could yeah. now maybe it just didn't occur to them, and maybe they were really just pissed about the way that it looked like this exploit was only against iPhones and not Android, and it happened to be a Google research team that issued the report, and they and I think that there was even I forget what the issue was at the news of the day, but Google even had some uh-huh. bad some bad news that week about something, and so isn't it convenient that they issued this report on iOS security? Uh, don't mention Android and did it at a time that was seemingly convenient for Google in the tech news cycle. Uh, yeah. Not mentioning and putting in a very sympathetic uh, stance on the Uyghurs, you know, it, maybe it just didn't occur to them, but maybe it did. And they thought, well, why, why piss off China? You know, that seems like something right. that's going to piss them off. It's besides, beside the point we want to make again, wouldn't have helped. Wouldn't have gotten one person out of a concentration camp. Wouldn't have softened, the Chinese government's truly cruel stance towards this entire community of 10 million people, but it still would have been, I think the right thing to do in your, your statement on this to apologize to the, to these people who are truly going through something bad. Yeah. And I mean, I I also, I mean, I found this, this flag thing kind of alarming, right? Where this is, they, they took the Taiwanese flag emoji out of the iOS localization in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, which hold, is hold that thought. Of, let's come back. Yeah. Let's come back to this flag thing after I take a break here and thank our first sponsor. Cause oh, that's yeah. a good point. I want to keep going on this, but that's a good yeah. point that I'll remember. <laughs> I want to thank our first sponsor, <laughs> my good friends at hello pillow, H U L L O. And then they spell pillow normally. Have you ever tried a buckwheat pillow? It is a totally different experience than the fluffy soft pillows that most of us are used to. It's similar to a bean bag, very similar in my personal experience, which allows you to adjust its shape and thickness. It supports your head and neck just how you want to, unlike traditional squishy soft pillows, which collapse under the weight of your head. Soft pillows allow your neck to fall into a downward bend, adding un- uncomfort, uh, uncomfortable pressure to muscles, nerves, and discs. Hello, on the other hand, a hello pillow stays cool and dry compared to regular pillows filled with feathers or foam. Uh, you don't have to flip it over the, in the middle of the night to get the cool side. The side you've been sleeping on stays the cool side all night long. It makes your pillow feel warm and humid without getting hot. Buckwheat pillows just simply just tend to breathe better. Uh, they sent me one years ago when they first sponsored the show. My wife claimed it, has never given it up since. We now have Hello Pillows in every bed in the house. Uh, they, my wife and son absolutely love them. Love to come home from a vacation. We could stay somewhere with really nice hotel beds. First thing they like when they come home is that they get back to a hello pillow. Somebody tweeted about that once, and a hello, hello representative said, you know, you can take them on the road, but they are actually kind of heavy. <laughs> it's actually the type <laughs> of pillow that would be hard to pack. Uh, really, they, it's a great product. And if you're the type of person who uses two regular pillows or folds your pillow or something like that to pop it up, a ho- one hello pillow will do the trick for you and keep you propped up at the uh, proper opening. You can adjust them. The obvious way, unzip it, take a little out if you want it a little flatter, put some more buckwheat in there if you want it a little puffier. 
it's really a natural way to sleep. And on point for this episode of the show, Hello products are made in the USA with quality construction and materials. Certified organic cotton case is cut and sewn for durability, and the buckwheat is grown and milled in the U.S. So you can sleep on it for 60 nights. You have almost two months, and if you don't like it, just send it back. They'll give you a full refund, no questions asked. Go to hellopillow.com slash talk show. Hellopillow, H-U-L-L-O, pillow.com slash talk show. And if you try more than one pillow... You get a discount of up to 20 bucks per pillow, depending on the size. Fast free shipping on every order, too. And 1% of profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. My thanks to Hello Pillow. So, the flag emoji thing. Tell, so, the basic story there is China is very sensitive to issues surrounding sovereignty. Yes. Uh, and you know what? We can touch on another uh, mutual. You're a much bigger NBA fan yeah. than I am, but the NBA <laughs> found itself in hot water on the same issue. But they're they're keenly aware of issues pertaining to sovereignty, and it's partially what drives them to have these campaigns, like in Tibet, and with the Uyghurs, where they're saying, you know, you you are Chinese. This is China. Right. You know that sort of mindset. Um, and they're very sensitive to this. They, they, I, I think I'm going to get it wrong. It's a shame because we were just talking about them, but I always forget what, what Taiwan's other name is. The Republic is. of China. It's like, right. Yeah, I was going to guess that the Republic <laughs> yeah. of China. So the, uh, the Republic of China is Taiwan and it's a democracy and it's, it's, it is not China, but China sort of wants you to think it's China and they've done some weird things over the years. Like uh, they, they've insisted that airlines around the world list Taiwan as the Republic of China. Yeah. Uh, I think they made them play in the Olympics uh, as Chinese Formosa or something. Some, some yeah, other historic yeah. name for it. Yeah. And now, yeah. And, and so, and so they have their own flag uh, as one does, right. but uh, the, Apple mysteriously, and, and Apple has these flag emojis. People have probably seen it. You gotta scroll down there, uh, and it it went away um, in the Hong Kong localization. Um, I guess it was never in the so, Chinese one, probably. Um, no, no, probably not. Almost so, certainly not. And that's like a it's a slap at Taiwan, but also I I really don't know all the nuances of the Hong Kong protest situation. But Hong Kong has a different legal situation in which people are supposed to have. Uh, the kind of free speech rights that they had when it was part of the the British Empire, rather than uh, what what exists in China, and what's particularly weird about this, right, is is Apple just did it, right? You were, you know, Tim Cook he says, well, China doesn't pressure us. Uh, you got to figure China did pressure them, but maybe China didn't pressure them, and they're just trying to be nice, go out of right. their way to censor Taiwanese flags. Uh, but the And it, it was weird, too, because it happened in, like, one of the eight updates to iOS 13. It wasn't like iOS 13.0 came out, and here's the major new version of iOS 13, and now there's no more flag uh, Taiwanese flag emoji in Hong Kong it was just like a, a you know like 13.1.1 or something like that came out and if you had your region set to Hong Kong you couldn't type the 
the flag emoji. But also weird is they didn't remove the emoji. They removed it from the keyboard. So you can uh-huh. type it. But if you, in the U.S. version of or any of the other various locales around the world where it remains on the keyboard, if you send it to somebody in Hong Kong, they will receive it and it will still display. It's just they can't type it back. But they could cop. They could copy and paste it back. <laughs> you know, it's that, that's it, weird. it's weird enough that some people speculated at first that it was a bug. But it's one of those things where it's like, well, of all the countries in all the world where this bug could happen, it seems oddly curious that it would be the one where it's actually politically sensitive. Yeah, you know, it's not like, like the Moroccan flag vanishes in Namibia, and you're like, yeah, oh, that's weird. right? <laughs> yeah, um, all of a sudden, the you know the Mexican flag is no longer available, but only if you're in Ireland. It's it was not <laughs> like that. It, it was right, very specific. Right. But on and also there have been we've seen a whole bunch of bug fix bug fixes to iOS 13 come out. It had this has not changed yet. Um, I know firsthand from people. Uh, who have family in Hong Kong, some readers of the site, you know, who, who've, you know, texted me or emailed me or DM me or something like that. It, people in Hong Kong are pissed about it. They're pissed about a lot of things about China, but they're pissed about this keyboard thing in particular, because there's a lot of them who, who are even from Taiwan, you know, and that now they just live in Hong Kong. It's their country. Uh, you know, and if you think about it that way, if you think that there was some sort of, uh, political problem and it's almost hard to imagine it happening in the US but if there was something where you suspected that Apple removed the ability to type the Italian flag in uh-huh. on your iPhone that Italian Americans would be very angry about it right and uh, rightly so I'm think. not even saying yeah you would think but if you just think about it that way if you think you know if you're trying to put your hands your 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 feet in the shoes of someone in Hong Kong, think about like, you know, or if you are of Greek heritage or whatever your background is, um, uh, you know, you might be upset, especially if you still have a lot of feelings and pride about your, your family's home country. And so for a lot right. of people in Hong Kong, it is Taiwan and now they can't type the flag and it looks like Apple is just, uh, you know, erring on the side. It certainly isn't what people in Hong Kong want. want. If anybody's happy about it, it's people in China, but they're not the ones who are affected by it because it's the people in Hong Kong who have the Hong Kong region iPhones. Yeah. And, you know, part of what's disturbing about, you know, this kind of thing is that you don't know where the the limit is, right? I mean, it's it's a small thing, right? You know, it, it's an emoji, it's it's a keyboard, it's a phone, it's it's one small city. But, you know, if China calls them up one day and they say, well, you know, Taiwan is not recognized as an independent country by the UN and other right. official bodies. Uh, so we want you to take their flag off emoji keyboards all around the world. Like, right. what's Apple going to do, right? Because, you know, frankly, like... <laughs> The ability to use a Chinese, a Taiwanese flag emoji is not like a make or break feature for a typical consumer around yeah. the world, right? They they like iOS, they like the phone, they like uh, the cameras, like they're they're really good. It's the best way to take pictures of your kids, right? So are you going to stop buying the phone because some random flag goes away? Uh, and there's a lot of money at stake in the Chinese market, in the Chinese production line, right. but. You also like to think <laughs> that, you know, companies will um, stand up for like some kind of principle that, right. you know, people, 
even if China is going to do whatever they're going to do, their government's going to do in the land they control. That you know, we here in America, people in people in Europe, people in in Latin America, that you know, we live in societies with free speech, and and that's what happened with the NBA thing. Essentially, is China reached. Uh, through its importance to the international basketball market to shut down, you know, discussion in, in the United States. Right. Yeah. And it was a sign of like, I, you know, I really think it's alarming. I do is that, you know, like in the nineties with Bill Clinton and, you know, it was that that's when the turn, you know, the handover from British colonial rule to China was of Hong Kong, um, it's when trade relations deepened and we started treating them at least economically, like you mm-hmm. know, part of the club. Uh, and the thinking was once they get a taste of Western liberal democracy through these economic things, then it's going to help open up the country. Uh, you know, it, it, it's in my opinion, in hindsight, clearly arrogant on our part that once you get a taste of our style, you you won't go back. Uh, Whereas what's actually happened is that Chinese style censorship is exporting out of China more than our freedom of speech is going in. Right. Like there's there is that that whole NBA situation was about saying that if you work in the NBA, you can't say you support Hong Kongers. That that's crazy. That's really crazy. And there was, you know, there was tremendous optimism about the Internet specifically, right? right? That China is going to want to be a wealthy, modern, technologically advanced society. So they're going to have to have the internet and on the internet, you know, no one can control anything. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the internet is wonderful. I, I love the internet. I'm right there every day. It's it's, it's my whole life. Uh, you and I have made careers on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Huh? The huh? internet is great. Um, and, and, but we've seen that that forecast for China in particular, it was Really, really, really wrong. And yeah. It was uh, very feasible to create a censored internet in yeah. China, yeah. and they—they they are a very modern, technologically advanced society, right? I mean, this is how we started. So much of modern digital life runs on Chinese hardware, yeah. and you know, they're—they have not had that many globally successful sort of software-oriented companies uh, but there is tiktok which is big now and at least domestically uh you know wechat and, and whatever it, it's you know it it works fine uh yeah. not on a political level or a free speech level or a human rights level but the technology turns out to be much more you know agnostic yeah. uh, i think than than people wanted to believe yeah. and the business relationship uh, turns it around the other way yeah where we underestimated just how much uh, uh western not just americans but you know western business people will break with our society's norms and standards for things like free speech in order to make a buck <laughs> to right. be honest right. i mean and and the nba thing made that so crystal clear like again it's sort of like making a big deal out of emoji because, you know, they're just emoji. They're literally drawn in a humorous, cartoonish style. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like such a petty little thing. Although I think like as somebody who's mildly interested in linguistics, it's actually fascinating, you know, uh, yeah. the way people communicate with them. But that's a that's a whole nother podcast. Um, you know, it's a basketball. It's a sport, you know, and, and the whole uh, reason you know, that, that people who hate sports get annoyed at people who talk about sports is it's insignificant. And 
to mm-hmm. me, part of the reason why I love sports is because it's insignificant and it's exciting. It's fun to watch something with very highly skilled people where the stakes don't matter. Like I might, mm-hmm. might get all terribly worked up about the Yankees in the postseason and feel terrible that they got knocked out again. Mm-hmm. But the truth is nobody died. Nobody's hurt. You know, <laughs> it's just a game. It, the fact that it's just a game, you know, is, is what drives it. But uh, yeah, the, the NBA controversy in China was such great a microcosm of the whole thing. Cause it was all about the money and everybody said it was about, about the money. You didn't have to read between the lines. China said, if you know, if you guys, <laughs> if you guys don't apologize and fire this guy, we're going to take, we're, we're going to stop showing NBA games in China. And they meant it. Yep. And they immediately stopped the broadcast of a couple of preseason games that were meant to be broadcast there. And the sneaker companies sell tons and mil, you know, I guess billions of dollars, yep. billions of dollars of sneakers and jerseys for the top stars uh, you know, the, the financial ramifications are just obvious. And China waved them in front of the NBA's eyes and said, hey, you want our money in this market, you'll do it. And the NBA, I have to give it to, to Commissioner, what's his name? Uh, oh, who's God, the NBA commissioner? It's, it's, it's not David Stern anymore. It's, I know, uh, I, can, <laughs> I can only remember David Stern. Yeah, uh, uh, he was commissioner for so long. Yeah. Uh, Adam Silver. Adam Silver. I thought his response... Yeah overall was great and he did stand up for free speech and he didn't insist you know they stood up for the executive in houston and said we're not going to insist he be fired uh i think he handled the diplomacy of it very well by yeah by maintaining saying that the nba stands for free speech you know uh I appreciate that. I really think that he's, it's just a, it just shows that it's the best run of the major sport leagues in, in the U S um, but it was so weird to see like NBA players, you know, refusing. Like if it was me, man, I would. And again, I don't have a thirty million dollar shoe contract to defend, and maybe <laughs> I would feel differently if I did. Right. But I'd like to think that I, it would make me want to say I stand with Hong Kong, even if I didn't even know what the hell was going on in Hong Kong. I'd be like, I stand with Hong Kong, you know. And here I come to play no, my it, preseason game. It was incredible. I mean, a lot of the players, high profile players, were clearly, clearly pissed not at china but uh at at this this rockets gm for making trouble for them and and that was you know that's that's sad to see um it, yeah it's it's you know and and you see this a lot actually in the realm of movies where it's sort of accelerating from a few years ago you know skyfall came out and it has some there's some reference in there to someone being uh you know deported to china and and tortured and they put out a you know a chinese dub of it where one scene is cut and, and some of the language is changed but but otherwise the movie goes out but now the studios you know they work preemptively around what they anticipate Chinese sensitivities to be. So one of the ones I, I learned about is, I, I don't know if you, did you see the, the Dr. Strange movie? Yes, I have. Yeah. Well, see, so, you know, you know, T- Tilda Swinton's character in that she's a, that, that the, the, the ancient one is a Tibetan monk in the comic books and the filmmakers decided that, a Tibetan character would not be acceptable to China. So they, they just rewrote it. And and the guy, you know, he gives some quotes somewhere and he's like, well, you know, who wants to lose audience share in a big movie going country because we decided to get political. And you got to ask yourself like, well, okay. I mean, you know, people don't want to make everything about politics, right? It's a comic book movie. Like, fine. I get that. But is having a character be Tibetan? Like how political is that? Like, 
There just there are Tibetan people, you know, that Chinese government doesn't like that fact. Right. But it's and, just true. And you you can spin it that that comic book canon is all kind of loose anyway, because you know, originally Peter Parker was a teenager in the 1960s, you know, so, <laughs> sure. and, and you can do things like, okay, Aunt May was always really old, like must have, you know, always, I just assume, I don't even know the full backstory, but I just always assumed yeah. it was his great aunt, not his aunt, sure. you know, she was clearly like grandmotherly aged. Yeah, she's, she's an and, old lady, yeah. And you can recast her as Marissa Tomei, and she's, you know, mid-40s, or looks mid-40s at least, and, you know, <laughs> not an old lady at all. That's fine. But, the, you know, it, that's different. You're not thinking like, hey, they're just trying to avoid pissing off the people who hate old people, you know? Right. <laughs> there's, there is no, there's no major market in the world where casting an, a 78-year-old woman in the role of Aunt May is uh, offensive or politically dicey, whereas casting, you know, having a Tibetan monk might be. And there's no people looking for it, right? I mean, you can imagine people in the Tibetan diaspora, right? Who like, I don't know, right? Like no foreign army is going to come riding to their rescue, but to see a member of their culture represented in a prominent movie, like that might, that might feel nice, right? It, it might mean something to people to say like, you know, they're, they, they had an impact on the world. People know something about Tibet and, and the lamas and, and the monks. And, you know, people do care about representation in these things. And it's it's why, I guess, Marvel speculated that the Chinese government would care, preemptively got rid of it. Uh, but it's that's it's frightening. And I think particularly technology industry companies, which have gotten so they're so involved with how speech is transmitted nowadays. Right. I mean, whether you're talking about streaming services or original content or you know how do we read things how do we listen to things um, how do we interfere how do we interfere in elections in another country around the world right 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 and you know i mean i i don't know how to put this right i mean i i i work for a uh, media company that tries to make money at uh, you you try to make money in, in in your life your business but i do think that people in journalism have always had you know a sense that like we we want to have businesses we we like money same as everyone else but like we do want to stand for something right and right. there there are things you wouldn't do just to go make a quick buck and i don't know that that's the culture of silicon valley it's definitely not i think the culture of facebook uh, right. but apple you know, Tim Cook had this famous thing where he was like, I don't care about your bloody ROI. Right. He was talking about yeah. their accessibility features. Right. And I always took that to be a sincere yep. thing, right? Going all the way back to Steve Jobs and like, do you want to make sell sugar water or do you want to change yep. the world? That not not that they're pure idealists, but that part of getting people to go work there and work right. hard is that you want to convince them that this is a company that's doing something with positive impact on the world, right? They're not just selling sugar water. Yeah. I, I thought that was an interesting moment. That was at a shareholders meeting a couple of years back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought I, and I wasn't there and I don't think they record them. So I only got it on transcript and by reporting, but by all accounts, Cook got angry. And, and like I said, he doesn't, his emotions don't show in public. So the fact that they did, I take that as a sign of it, he, it, he meant it so much that he actually lost his cool a bit, you know, and for him to publicly use the word bloody, you know, it's, yeah. that's not really colloquially uh, from his uh, Alabama <laughs> roots. No, uh, it, it, 
I you can't help but think that he was that close, as close as he's ever going to get to actually using an American curse word sure. on stage, you know. And I think he meant it. I really do think he meant it. I know, and I know for a fact, Apple has the best accessibility of any computing platforms, and they keep making them better. They got this voice control thing that just came out this year, and it. I, I'm a proponent. I've said this for years that. The, the thing about accessibility you have to understand is doing accessibility right actually helps almost all users, if not all users. Like you don't have to be blind or have a serious vision impairment to to better use a computer where everything where where there's accessibility features that help them. You know, all of a sudden you can have software that can read the screen because uh, the accessibility features have to be able to read the screen, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I won't go off on a long rant about it, but we're all, <laughs> we're all disabled at sometimes. Like if you work as a bartender and it's a noisy place and your hands are full, you know, having accessibility features on your phone is a good thing. You need them, not because you're disabled, but because you're handicapped by your environment, you know? It's it, right. It's all there. And I think Cook meant it, though. But I think Apple does it. And I know they don't measure it. There is no the accessibility team and the time they spend putting in accessibility features is not measured in profit and loss. And, well, we made X amount of money by selling phones to people with hearing impairments. Uh, they don't do that. Right. They it's, really don't. It's a, and it's, it's, it's a core value. Right. right? I mean, right. they believe in making accessible products. They believe that it, putting the time into accessibility will make them better. And they also believe, you know, I mean, if you were to make a business case for it, you say, look, like this needs to be a company that people are excited about. Right. Yeah. And so we are going to do this the right way yeah. that to, we want to make the best phone and being the best phone means it's a phone everyone can use. Right. And and I think what you what you see, like with, with the flag emoji is like the lack of that. Spirit, yes. Yeah. Right? And, and, Even though it's a small thing, but right. it's like you're not standing up there and saying, well, we don't care about the bloody whatever it is. Right. right. Like we put flag emojis on our keyboards right. and we're just like we're just going to yep. because you could always once you get into a corner cutting mentality you can always cut more corners right yep. and that's that's why he reacted that way at the shareholder meeting right yep. you could have tried to put out a presentation defending it in, in economic and right. business terms because they, they wouldn't do something that didn't make sense but it, part <laughs> of the proposition is that this is just important to them they're going to do it all the time yeah. and they're not going to nickel and dime on each individual kind of <laughs> kind of call and right. it looks like they are on speed and and again it comes back to apple's profit margins it's like you can almost hear tim cook saying i'm delivering 38 percent profit margins to all of you every single quarter what do you want more it's not like we're <laughs> skating by you know on the skin of our teeth you know sure anyway right. they're not, let me they're not let, about to go bank let me take another break here and thank our next sponsor, ClearBank. ClearBank, all one word. Clear is spelled normally, bank with a C, B-A-N-C. ClearBank is changing the way entrepreneurs raise money with equity-free capital. Co-founder Michelle Romanow, she's the star of Canada's Dragon's Den. That's the Canadian version of Shark Tank. Dragons probably beat a shark if you think about it. Uh, she co-founded ClearBank with her partner, Andrew D'Souza, after seeing how many companies were willing to part with precious equity in exchange for a bigger marketing budget. ClearBank believes that founders shouldn't give up a piece of their company to fund marketing and in inventory expenses. ClearBank makes equity-free investments from $10,000 to $10 million and can get you a term sheet in less than 20 minutes. 
They charge a small flat fee for the capital, and you pay them back using a win-win revenue share. This is not a loan. There is no interest rate, no fixed maturation date, maturation date, no personal guarantees, no credit checks, and no financial covenants. ClearBank has relationships with marketing agencies, e-commerce professionals, venture capitalists, accountants, and more, giving you a true unfair advantage in the market. ClearBank invested over $150 million in 2018, and they are on track to invest over $1 billion with a B this year. 2019. Some notable portfolio companies are Public Goods, Lisa Sleep, Latote, Buffy, to name just a few. So if you are doing over 10000 a month in revenue, find out how you can receive a ClearBank capital by getting your 20-minute term sheet at clearbankwithac.com slash talk show. ClearBank. Stop pitching and get back to doing what you love, growing your business. Clearbank.com slash talk show. All right, that brings us back to Trump and Apple's show, Dog and Pony Show, uh, Wednesday, which the White House turned around by the end of the day in a campaign ad uh, with a bombastic Michael Bay-style score. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, I don't know. It's like a 30-second spot. Maybe it's long. I felt like 10 minutes watching it, uh, but it's, you know, subtlety is not really their thing. It, yeah. It's you know, not their thing the score and everything. And it's, you know, it was cut together to make it look as though Apple had just opened a factory, everything that Trump had said at the thing that wasn't true, that Apple had opened a factory thanks to Donald Trump and it was bringing jobs back and a Trump policy yeah. is good for Apple. And Tim cook is a Trump supporter. Uh, right. I mean, that's, that's, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I, that's, you know, that what the, that's the message of the ad. And I don't think any Absolutely. of those things are true. And yeah, it's a terrible I mean, ad and it was entirely yeah. shot. It's not an Apple owned facility. Cause I guess we mentioned it, it, the, it, there's some company named flex that owns the, that owns the, the actual factory, but it's, it is an Apple facility. It's a facility Absolutely. that exists solely to make Apple products. And it was Apple people who were in the, the video. Number one, that's it. The whole thing is illegal because it it wasn't put out by like the Trump twenty twenty uh, campaign. It was put out by the White House, and it is actually illegal for the White House or any other you know to to put you know like you can't use you can't say that the White House isn't supposed to be doing Trump's reelection work. But yeah. that's all. <laughs> they don't they don't really follow that law anymore. But it, it used to be a thing. It used to be a major thing. Uh, it would have been <laughs> shocking. I mean, uh, just yes. 10, 15 years ago in the Bush administration, it would have been shocking if a White House video was a transparent re-election ad for George W. Bush. I mean, it just would have been flabbergasting. and It would have been the story of the day and, and heads would have rolled and the video would have been pulled. And and now it's just, you know, <laughs> spitting in the wind. <laughs> yep. But I it's mean, really... Thing. Uh, it's really, uh, to me, a very low moment in Apple's history. Uh, I, I don't know how else to say it, and I don't think I'm being uh, hyperbolic when I say so. And maybe, yeah. you know, I, I, I have an open enough mind that honestly, like if I could talk to Tim Cook off the record, obviously, and just, you know, have him pitch me on why this was worth it. And maybe, you know, that this it's as cynical as it sounds that the numbers were so bad if Apple had to pay these tariffs and he's fully aware of how bad this looks and nobody's 
Nobody in the world is less happy about the way that that tour played out. And I'm sure he predicted everything Trump would say about it, that he opened the factory and that it you know, brought new jobs mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. that I knew everything he was going to say, and I did it anyway, and I would do it again, because that's how important it is to Apple and our customers that we be able to make these products without paying these tariffs. Maybe. I'm, I'm willing to listen to it. But even then, that's still sad. It's still, I'm still sad about the state of affairs in the world, you know. Yep, and I can't. Well, I can't help but think that this is it, a little bit of it isn't quite so magnanimous. That it's a little bit more about greed, you know. Right, right. I mean, you know, would would an extra tax, slower margins, if it if it goes down from thirty eight percent to twenty nine percent gross margins for right. a couple of years until there's a new president, would that would that be the end of the world? And you know, the, you said this earlier, but. The one thing you always hear from from people at, at Apple is that the biggest challenge that they have is with talent, right? That, you know, people who are good enough to work at Apple are good enough to work at, at lots of places. Uh, they've yeah. got, you know, good marketable skills. And in some ways, Apple's not like quite as cushy as some of the other tech companies. For- yeah, they don't they don't pay the most for the most part. Yeah. For whatever reason, I don't, I honestly don't know why. Um, but, you know, I, I do hope, you know, people who, who work there will think about this. And, you know, what ability do you have to speak up, you know, internally and think about your your values? I mean, this is an issue, not just at Apple, but at, at all the companies in the industry. And if having some sense of ethics is a competitive advantage in securing talent, that would be a very good thing for America and for the world, uh, because it, it's a it's a really competitive marketplace, right? Yeah. Uh, but if people if people don't care what ends their work are put to, you know, that's that's really bad. Um, you know, and this was like Trump Trump even said at this thing, he said, Oh, you know, you don't need to worry about tariffs, uh, because you're building it here in America. Yeah. And as we were saying before, that's like the opposite. No, um, it's the opposite. What, what's he, he, here, here's, he, here's the direct quote. The nice part is he doesn't have to worry about tariffs. When you build it here, you don't have to worry about tariffs. And that's not at all right. That's not how the policy works. Uh, Trump has all kinds of tariffs on intermediate goods and components. And for some reason, Canadian aluminum has tariffs on it yeah. right now. Um, and it's like it's it's crazy. And, you know, you got the CEO standing right there with you. And, you know, you could be like, you know, Mr. President, the, the reason I don't have to worry yeah. about tariffs is you gave us an exemption, like which is great, but it would have been even easier if we just hadn't done right. this. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I, I totally get it. And uh, Tim Cook is not going to make a jerk out of the president. He's not going to yeah. scream in his face. It's not going to be a setup. He's not going to secretly have a, a cream pie and give him a pie in the face. Uh <laughs> You know, but he could have, I think he could have stood up and said something to that effect. I think he could have, you know, there are certain things he said that he could have clarified without saying you're wrong, Mr. President here. He could simply say it the way it's actually true. You know, he could mention that we have been working, we have been making Mac Pros here since 2013. He could say that. We're we're talking Friday afternoon about stuff that happened earlier this week. And I know uh, my colleagues at at Vox.com, where where I write, uh, colleagues at at The Verge, a sister company of ours, uh, and I'm sure other people around the internet, uh, put inquiries in to Apple's, you know, press team. We're like, hey, what's the deal with this? Um, 
And they had no response, right? They wouldn't no. even confirm in like a passive way, like, yes, in fact, this is the same plant that we've had since 2015. Yes. Uh, it's not an apple. I mean, it, it's all true. So we didn't exactly need their confirmation. But, you know, that's I, a that's a middle ground that companies right. can take, right? When everyone right. writes the Trump fact check story the next day, Apple could say on the record through a spokesperson rather than the CEO, if they don't want right. to put Tim Cook in it, be like, yeah, that was that was wrong yeah. but they didn't they were like oh, I, no comment and i i will confirm that i myself contacted apple pr specifically in addition to having asked if i could get a media pass i actually asked afterwards uh hey my expectation is that this is the same plant where the previous generation mac pro has been made since 2013 can you and it's just a new assembly line at the same plant can you confirm that and i got no response right and that's I mean, like, that's weird, right? I mean, yeah. look, companies companies sometimes don't respond to inquiries, but, like, your job in yeah. public relations is to provide accurate information to the media about what is happening when people ask them. Normally, if you'd come in, if this had been two weeks ago and you'd been like, hey, when did you guys open that plant in Texas? Or, hey, is this new campus? Is that where they're making yeah. the Mac Pros? They would have been like, no, it's like a couple hours away. But, you know, we are proud to work in the United States. But, you know, they'd give you some pitch, but yeah. they wouldn't be like, oh, we, I don't even know. Where, where yeah. do we build our buildings? Right. I mean, they know. And Apple, you know, famously, it does tend to issue no comment on almost anything. And, and you know, it's a, yeah, you know, Bloomberg will come out with a report that there's a rumor that about the 2020 phone, and then as part of their standard reporting process, they will call or text or whatever and see if Apple will comment. And an Apple spokesperson will always decline to comment that they don't yeah. comment on rumors and speculation. And I have, I can't think of a thing off the top of my head, but often when I do need or want clarification from Apple, it is on something sensitive. You know, mm -hmm. and and there have been times over the years where I've gotten no response at all to certain questions, mm -hmm. but I understand it because I'm asking about, um, you know, like the implications of a security bug or or something like that. I don't know, you know, but where you can imagine where they would rather say nothing because they don't want to say anything and be wrong about it. Maybe they don't know, mm -hmm. right? Uh, how long has this plant been open in Texas is not one of right. those questions. This is it, right. it, it, this is the, the parallel between their, their, their dancing with China and dancing with Trump is that things that shouldn't be controversial, like having a Tibetan monk as a character in a superhero movie uh, or – just clarifying it. Yes, this is the same goddamn plant that's been open since 2013. Here we are, and it's controversial. It's right. you know, and, and you you're right. It's it's very you know because I've. I, you know, I, I'm not like a like a, a gadget, uh, you know, guy. I, I I don't review products, so I've never like tried to ask them like, you know, what's what what are you, what are you going to do about about your next phone? And then and then they tell you no. Uh, but you know, when I've had to ask them about like tax stuff, you know, like any company, like they've got their line, they've got their spin. Mm -hmm. But like, if you want to know, like what's the deal with blah blah blah, you know, stuff that's in their records, and I just don't happen to know how to dig it up like they just say it you know it's yeah. like it's fine it's company it's reporting and it's it's truly odd to go into full no comment mode not to avoid some embarrassment to the company but to avoid an embarrassment to the president of the united states yes right? like that's weird yes. you don't you don't see companies do that normally any industry right it's because they didn't do anything wrong 
Right. And it's hard. Again, it, it's I shouldn't even have to say this, but it's this is the nature of Trump being Trump. And it is not a left right divide. It's not conservative liberal. I've been writing Daring Fireball since 2002. So, you know, I, I went through most of the whole Bush administration and then all of the Obama administration. And it just never would have come up as different yep. politically as Bush and Obama were. Uh, it just never would have occurred to me that there'd be a moment where Apple, this Apple stuff that I write about, would involve the company avoiding comment to avoid embarrassing the president. It just, I, it, I couldn't have even imagined this scenario. Yet and here it, we are. I mean, it shows how Trump also inserts himself into every walk of life in a aggravating way. I mean, I, I have been listening to this show for years, uh, reading Daring Fireball for a long time. I'm really excited uh, to be on here, but it's also strange you know that mm -hmm. um we have gotten into a point where there is so much uh politic politicking around right. apple wants to make a new high-end desktop computer right yeah. like that should be a pretty niche technology story that yeah. you know frankly like even most people who care a lot about computers don't don't need this mac pro in yeah. their lives uh, much less donald trump like meddling with 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 everything it's yeah. like it's depressing i i like i like to listen to a show like this for a respite um, yes and I, I i almost feel bad bringing it <laughs> into people's uh, earphones be like oh yeah. god more trump there's, but you know there no is. yeah and there's no way to avoid it this week sorry i mean i'm not even apologizing for the political <laughs> nature of it i mean it's a couple people pointed out on twitter like because they know my feelings on Trump, but they're like, has there ever been a cycle, uh -huh. a news cycle that's more in the uh, center of the Venn diagram of my interests? And it's like, yep. unfor unfortunately, no, like you'd like to yep. think that it's a story where it's like, this is a story I love to write about and talk about <laughs> because it's right in the middle. It's like the John Gruber bullseye. This is great. And right. unfortunately, there's, you know, there's a flip side to the bullseye. There's this, you have to write about this because it's in the dead center of Venn diagram of your interests, uh, but not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. Oh, longtime friends of the show, Squarespace. Look, Squarespace is the all-in-one place to make your website. Everything from getting your domain name, the design, the templates, the tweaking of the templates, the posting updates. Like if you have a blog or something like that, you do it all through Squarespace. I keep telling you guys when you uh, – when you listen to me talk about Squarespace, that you you see Squarespace sites every day and you don't even know it because they don't have like a telltale look or a, a subset of templates. And it's like, oh, that's clearly a, a Squarespace site. They're as unique as your brand is. Your website will reflect that. I was just talking to some designers today. We're getting some stuff designed in the house. Uh, their company website, guess what? Hosted by Squarespace. Somehow it came up that I was going to do a podcast later today. I don't know how it came up and we're talking about, you know, as an example of who sponsors the show. I didn't even know Squarespace was sponsoring the show today, but it seemed like a good guess. And they said, hey, we make our website with Squarespace. And I asked them, well, let me tell you, if you want to help me out, how's it go? How do you like it? They lost their web designer a couple months ago. Um, it just, you know, not lost like they hired him, but they, you know, they busy and moved on. And I think he moved across the country or something. They keep updating the site themselves, totally non-web designer people. They keep updating the site themselves. Absolutely no problem. You do not need to be a technical expert to use. You don't need to be a technical expert in any way to use Squarespace. Um, so my thanks to them. Next time you need a website, somebody you know needs a website, start it on Squarespace. 
you can use it for 30 days free of charge before you pay a nickel. And my guess is you won't even look to your second choice. So start your free trial today. And when you do sign up at squarespace.com slash talk show, remember that code talk show when you pay and you'll get 10% off your first purchase That's squarespace.com slash talk show and the offer code, same as the URL slug talk show. Here's the thing I thought of in my notes. I, I don't take extensive notes before the show, as you might guess. Um, but it occurred to me, thinking about it, I, as an Apple observer, I have remained over the last, I guess it's eight years now, uh, studiously cautious and conservative about playing the this wouldn't have happened or would have happened differently if Steve uh-huh. Jobs, if Steve Jobs were still around, because uh-huh. uh, I don't think it's useful. I think most of the speculation along those lines was proven terribly wrong over the last few years. You know, I mean, uh-huh. you know, the gist of it was like circa 2013. Apple's going under because Steve Jobs is gone, and they'll never make another new product, and we'll soon forget about him. And that's obviously not true. But it uh-huh. is very difficult for me to imagine Steve Jobs appearing alongside Trump. At that, at that, uh, a thing on I don't even know what to call it on Wednesday. Like, yeah, I don't know it, what would have happened in the alternate world where Steve Jobs was still a CEO and alive and healthy, uh, and Trump were president, and this tariffs thing was going on. I can imagine Jobs being cynical enough to to go along to some degree to get the tariffs. Right. Like that doesn't sound out of, you know, to get the exemptions to the tariffs. That doesn't sound out of character to me. Um, If anything, that seems like something he'd perhaps be more willing to do than Tim Cook. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. I could be completely wrong. I cannot imagine him standing there and doing it and and putting on a suit and tie. Uh, I don't think he would (laughs) have, I don't think he would have participated in the uh, executive council, whatever they called it, technical council thing that Trump held. Yeah. Uh, I mean, remember, and just think about how fast things have changed. Remember who was on the other side of uh, him at the time, like on, on Trump's left was Tim Cook and on his right was Jeff Bezos. Really hard to imagine Jeff Bezos <laughs> appearing <laughs> with Trump today, uh, yes. given Trump's relation, you know, stance on the Washington Post. Um, who knows? Maybe if in the world where Steve Jobs was still around and Tim Cook was still the COO, it still would have been Tim Cook showing up in the way uh-huh. that Steve Jobs, even while CEO, very rarely appeared on those quarterly analyst calls. It was Tim Cook who handled it as you know his COO lieutenant because it just wasn't Steve Jobs' bag to talk the talk that analysts want to hear. So maybe it would have been, but that gets to your point about Trump being so sensitive to perceived slights and how things play. Like, I, you know... It, it, it seems... You know, Jobs was not, not the type to be as cagey as Tim Cook, right? I mean, right. the like doing it but not saying anything, and not not saying anything either way, mm-hmm. right? Not not defending himself against yeah. his critics either, right? I mean, Jobs. I mean, a typical sort of founder. You know, a difference between a, a founder and, a, and an executive, right? It's like S- Steve Jobs. He he had a lot. 
a lot to say, you know, <laughs> um, a, a, a lot of ego, right? Like on display, not just like a quiet, you know, doing the business kind of thing. And it's 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 hard to imagine him being sort of half in public view in this way, right? Yeah. There on camera, but not saying or doing anything, mm-hmm. right? If he was going to show up, it, it would it would be to do something. And it's hard to it's just hard to imagine it. And again, even the politics of it aside, I just can't can't imagine that he could abide the nonsense, you know, like whether you've, you know, left or right on the, who you hope wins the next presidential election. Uh, although we know from his, you know, his, we, we know that Steve Jobs leaned left and, and was, you know, close advice, you know, Al Gore is on the board of directors at Apple, for God's sake. They're, and they were apparently, it was, he's apparently one, was one of the closest members of the board to, to Steve Jobs. Um, I just can't, it's just the optics of it. I just can't see it. And letting Trump blather on and, uh, you know, uh, attract all the attention of the moment. Like, you know, Tim Cook is obviously willing to be the quiet person, you know, right. what was the phrase well, he, I quoted? He, he, he stood I mean, by silently. No, yeah. I mean, could you, jobs would not be the, the second banana in no. any no. relationship. I nope. think, right. Whereas that's, that's how uh, Tim Cook got to be Tim Cook. Yeah. Right. Standing behind Steve Jobs a lot. Tim yeah. or Steve Jobs clearly had a, it was a, a, I don't know if I often get confused about the, this is, seems like something that I should understand, but I get, I get confused by the difference between strategy and tactics, but it was, <laughs> I think it was both a strategy and a tactic, but Steve jobs had a thing where if he came into a room, he immediately asserted himself as Steve fucking jobs. And there's a famous story of the Segway, And I forget what it was called. It had a code name at the time. But uh, the guy who invented the Segway had invited a whole bunch of big shots to to see it before it was publicly unveiled. And it was, you know, Jeff Bezos was there and I forget who else was there, but Steve Jobs was one of the people who was there. And Steve Jobs just comes in the room, took a look at it and said, this is garbage and had like three things right <laughs> off the bat. Like uh, there's another story, you know, and this that's a room full of people, right? And he just wanted to assert that he was Steve. But, you know, if you read the story about it, I'll try, I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes. His, his criticism of it was actually spot on. And his, like, your idea that people are going to ride around cities in these things, you're, you're, you're an idiot. That's never going to happen because of X, Y, and Z. And, of course, we live in a world today where electronic scooters and things have become a, a much bigger trend. So there was he was on to something, but the Segway itself – never really took yeah. off in that way. I think that all of them are in use in malls, shopping malls and Epcot center. Um, you know, I think everyone riding one is a, uh, although I guess here in Philly, they do have tour groups that take them, but I don't see them very often anymore. That, that seemed to yeah, be a they thing do, five they, years they, ago. They do it in DC down, down by the national mall, Segway tours. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a niche. It never, yeah. it never changed the world. Yeah. Well, Steve Jobs is a pretty smart guy about products. Yeah. The other story I remember was, uh, well, there's a whole bunch of them, but there, one time he met an executive from ESPN or Disney or something like that. Uh, it might've been like after the Pix, you know, sale of Pixar to Disney. Uh, and he met a guy from ESPN and ESPN had just come out. It was, you know, this is before the iPhone. This is like 2005 or six or something. Um, when things like what I'm about to say were totally normal, ESPN had come out with a phone. <laughs> there was like an ESPN <laughs> phone where you could, if you got the ESPN phone, you'd get like text messages with scores or something like that, you know, and it came free with the phone. And it, the guy was like, Ooh, I, I can't wait to meet Steve Jobs. And he's like, Hey, I'm so and so from ESPN. And Jobs just says, Your phone fucking sucks. <laughs> That's just like what he said. It's like how he introduces himself to the guy. He's not like, hey, nice to meet you. By the way, 
let me tell you something. That phone you guys made kind of stinks. He just goes, your phone fucking sucks. <laughs> it's like he just asserts dominance, right? It, it, it's hard to imagine him being in a room with Trump where they're both, you know, it, it just seems like it would enter an infinite loop of trying to, you know, assert dominance over each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had, I had this I had this observation. So Tim Cook, I think another adjective that you would describe Tim Cook as is diplomatic. And I think the way he handled this thing Wednesday was very diplomatic. His decision to remain silent in the face of falsehoods about the factory and Trump's uh, bizarre rant at the end. Not bizarre if you follow Trump, but bizarre for the occasion rant yes. about the phony fake news. that We don't have a, We don't have a free press in the United States. Uh, you know, just nonsense. It's it, he would, you know, diplomatically chose to remain silent. Nobody would really describe Steve Jobs as diplomatic. I think he no. could be if he had a goal in mind. Uh, and the other thing, the, just an interesting, just a flipping of the world, you know, uh, cats chasing dogs, uh, is that I would say of every previous president of the United States, it, it was diplomatic because that's like a key skill both toward getting elected and being president, which are two different things, very different things. But in both cases, common sense diplomacy is part of the job. And Trump has just completely blown that up. So now, now we've got a CEO of Apple who's a genuinely talented diplomat and a president so lacking in diplomacy, diplomatic normal skills as to bugger belief, right? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's completely you you can see how it it puts certain kinds of people in a odd position, right? I mean, because you do have to deal with him. I mean, any CEO of a big company needs to needs to navigate in a world where the president of the United States, you know, exists and and his opinions uh, make sense and and normally. <laughs> <laughs> normally you wouldn't normally you wouldn't have a president push the envelope like that you wouldn't put the ceo of a company in that kind of spot position, right? right but it is like it's it's a little bit i think of a of a dominance game for mm -hmm. trump right yes. and cook cook back down you know yep. he nobody is actually fooled by this right at the right. end of the day right. because there's a lot of reporting we we do have a free press but trump showed that in a kind of stupid pointless game of chicken tim cook was not was 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 willing to back down you know right. he, he wasn't gonna say no you're wrong mr president right and like you could imagine like would trump really like go to town with them on on tariffs uh over that i don't know and and you know it's it's good that jeff bezos has not you know curtailed the washington post in right. response to any number of vituperative tweets from right. Trump and, and even suggestions that he'll go after Amazon on on policy grounds. Um, you know, it's really important for the, the world that, right. you know, people have some kind of backbone because at the end of the day, I mean, these CEOs, they are vulnerable to pressure, but also these are, you know, the most privileged and secure people in, in the universe. Um, right. And if they can't put themselves out there a little bit for like basic truth, you know, it's, it's not great. Trump so can't imagine uh, – he's so convinced that Bezos – I mean by all – point, you know, you'd know it better than me being both A, in the media and being in Washington uh, yeah. that uh, by all accounts, 
Bezos' leadership or ownership, I should say, he doesn't really lead. He's the owner of the Washington Post. Is truly, it's truly hands off editorially. That there are no yeah. accounts at all of any kind of hey. Uh, let's take it easy on the stories about Amazon and taxes. You know, let's take it easy mm-hmm, on that. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing, not. And and if he tried it, there's no way that anybody at the Post would stand for it. I mean, they would. It would be out. In the, it would be in the New York Times five minutes later. You know, it's hard to stop journalists from leaking. They right. they know a lot of other people in the right. press. Right. Um, and well, and, and the, also even even if you thought right, it's like well, okay, you, look, you should not rely on the Washington Post as your only source of information about the company Amazon.com. Right. That's common sense. But like the idea that Jeff Bezos is like directing their coverage of the Trump administration, <laughs> right. Because of some cockamamie thing related to postal service rates, like right. that's insane. <laughs> just... And. But Trump clearly can't imagine that if he owned the Washington Post, not abusing his ownership to further his own agenda and punish his enemies real or perceived. He so can't imagine not doing it that he just assumes Bezos must be doing it. And so therefore it it must be driven by Jeff Bezos, because what kind of what kind of a billionaire wouldn't wouldn't use his newspaper that way? Right. I mean, the idea that one thing you might do as a billionaire is actually just enjoy the ability to be a little loose with your money and have people say nice things about you because you're the patron of a great newspaper. It's like beyond his comprehension, right? Absolutely. It's a sad world. Uh, so now we've got a diplomatic seat. Like I just in the what if scenarios, it's like, I just imagine going back to like the, you know, 15 years ago, you know, uh, 2004 and talking to younger John Gruber and saying, I come from the future in 2019 and the president of the United States and Apple's CEO held a joint press availability. And one of them went off on a bizarre rant. (laughs) I would think, Oh my God, what did jobs do? What did jobs? Oh my God. What, what in the world did jobs, did Steve jobs say, or, or, get help bent about. I never would have occurred to me in a million years that it would be the other way around and it would be the president of the United States who went off on an impetuous rant. Yep. Uh, I did. Did I mention that the new smart battery case has a dedicated camera button? There we go. This is, this is the, the smart button yeah. review episode. That's, that's what oh. this one was about. Oh, to spend an entire podcast episode talking about this button. Uh, I have one. I have a fourth and final sponsor to thank before we wrap up with the final segment. It's our friends at ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an easy to use, so easy. Put it on your iPhone. Tap one button, and all of a sudden, your iPhone is connected to a VPN, protecting all of your network traffic. It couldn't be easier. You don't have to be an ex- expert at all. You don't really have to understand how VPNs work. But the basic idea is it's a virtual private network where everything into and out of your phone goes through the VPN. It's all encrypted. But that means even when you go to a website that is not itself encrypted, your traffic is encrypted because it's all over the VPN. So you could do things like use hotel Wi-Fi or coffee shop Wi-Fi uh, or the the goofy Wi-Fi on an airplane or something like that, uh, and realize that all of your traffic is as secure as could be. 
if you've ever used Wi-Fi at a hotel or shopping mall, you know what I'm talking about. You're sending your data over an open network. There's no encryption at all. Um, ExpressVPN is an award-winning app. It was rated highly by sites like TechRadar and CNET, recommended as the number one VPN provider by TechRadar in particular. And they are a company that takes privacy and security very seriously. It's what they're all about, and they take it to the next level. They've even invented a technology called Trusted Server to ensure that VPN servers run from RAM with no data logs that are written to the server's hard drive, even by accident. Entire thing runs in RAM. Nothing's written to disk. Really, it's a technology they invented. Uh, if you want the best in online security and privacy protection, head over to expressvpn.com slash TTS. TTS for the talk show. And when you start at that URL, you get three extra months free when you sign up for a one-year package. Protect your internet today. Go to expressvpn.com slash TTS to get started. Uh, have you seen the new Tesla Cybertruck? Yes, it looks. Uh, <laughs> it, it looks like a like like a rendering from an old uh, like Star Fox. Uh, yeah, <sighs> Super Nintendo game. Um, I don't know. As soon as I saw it, it looked to me like a rough draft of a DeLorean. And then I found <laughs> out I actually found it. It is in fact made with stainless steel, and that gives it some of that look. But it has that wedge shape. I will say this: I don't love the design of it. I really don't. I, I don't hate it as much as some people seem to. But I love that it's original and looks like nothing else. Like, I think one of my knocks against Tesla uh, is that I don't think they've done anything truly innovative in the exterior design of cars. Like, I know a Tesla Model S when I see it. But for the most part, they just sort of look a lot like all the other sedans of the same size class. And there's certain things that they do that I think are starting to look old fashioned. I think putting chrome around the window trim of a car. I, I, I've never liked chrome on a, on a car like that. It, it, there's a lot of stuff that they've done over the years that just isn't that great. And then when they do something original, like put the, the gull wings on their SUV crossover thing, it's just stupid. Nobody wants that. Uh, <laughs> at least this Cybertruck, which is the most ridiculous name too, which I kind of love. I mean, who uses cyber anymore except Joe Biden? That, that was the main thing. Cyber, right. cyber truck. We're gonna. The, the only other person. <laughs> the information superhighway. The only other person I know of who still uses word cyber is Joe Biden. <laughs> I mean, it just well, isn't yeah, used. but look, as somebody who is not at all in the market for a truck, I, <laughs> I'm excited to see uh, something weird looking yeah. on the road. You know, I I I love that it's it a looks more like entertaining universe. Yeah, I totally love it. Uh, so apparently the demo went poorly where they were showing how incredibly, <laughs> you know, and Elon is, is obviously a little bit of an exaggerator in there. You know, he's a showman, but he was, they're talking the about how durable the stainless steel. Sledgehammer against the door, no damage. And that the, the glass, he wanted to say it's bulletproof. And then he caught himself and said, almost bulletproof, you know, which is because yeah. bulletproof <laughs> has a very specific meaning. It literally means, but then they, this seems bulletproof seems like a, in that horseshoes and hand grenades category. Where yeah. Yeah. The bullet goes through your window, and you don't want to be like, well, the bullet almost didn't make it. Through. Yeah, almost bulletproof is, you know, like almost pregnant. Uh, <laughs> but then they toss like a steel marble onto the window. Like it was supposed to show that it won't crack, and instead it shattered <laughs> right in the demo. <laughs> he had great stage presence, though. He, right. he, he worked through it. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, he's, he's truly the greatest showman of yeah. our current current tech leaders. Yeah. Um, 
but I also feel like he keeps promising things that don't actually like happen. Yeah, totally. Like, weren't right. we supposed to like have a Mars colony soon? Yeah, but maybe his optimism on that front. Like, I'm not a huge Elon Musk supporter, but I'm glad he's there. I am glad he's there. I know some people, you know, certainly I know there's there's people who listen to the show who are bigger fans of him than me. I know that there's a subset of people who think that everything that ails Apple is that, that they should somehow buy Tesla so that he can be the CEO of the joint company, you know, like the way that uh -huh. they got Steve Jobs when they bought Next. And it is right. interesting. You know, I bring this up because it is an interesting car and it just came out yesterday. Um, but it fits with this description of Tim Cook being very cautious and a sort of very different yeah. person than Steve Jobs, whereas Elon Musk is the closest thing we have to a Steve Jobs-like character, you know? No, and, and I can see why longtime Apple fans would have the view that it would be better to somehow make that merger happen. Like, I, I don't think it's true. It's like Apple is a mature company now, yeah. and it benefits from having notwithstanding everything we've been saying about tim cook and trump it is appropriate for it to have a mature ceo yeah. who runs a very complicated very large-scale business that needs to be organized and disciplined and not promising things that come two days late or smashing windows on stage but it was exciting right a apple was in some ways more it was more fun in some ways to be an apple fan when it was a a little underdog company that had this headstrong ceo and was doing crazy stuff right like we're yeah. gonna have blue computers whoa right and now it's like you know i think the boring thing gets overstated sometimes but it's very competent and it's very mature we yeah. know there's gonna be a new phone every year right yeah. so i'm not like holy shit they've made a new phone yeah it's obvious. Yeah, my favorite example, well, not, maybe not the best example, but I know one example of that was iMessage where they were unveiling iMessage for the first time. I forget what year mm -hmm. it was, but, you know, early on in a phone. And apparently what happened is during the keynote rehearsals, Jobs hit upon the idea of, well, let's open source this thing. And yeah, so then he just said it. Yeah, and people are like, "Well, we'll look into it." I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can do that. And then he just said it. He said it on stage that we're opening the whole thing. It's you know we're sending it to the standard bodies and whatever. And I know for a fact that people who worked on the iMessage team, that was the first they heard about it, and they were like, "Did you yeah. know that?" What? And they're like, "We can't do that." And they're thinking about the parts of the code that you know like can't be licensed, can't be you know literally not just legally couldn't be open source that there were mm -hmm. patent protected things. And they were like, uh, what are we going to do? And you know, <laughs> right. I mean, here, it never happened. Right? Yeah. It never happened. Never happened. Yeah. yeah that's not going to happen with Tim cook, right? That is never going to happen with Tim cook where he's going to impetuously decide to open source a major technology on, you know, 48 hours before a keynote and not tell the team or double check that it's even possible. That is not going to happen. They, and they, and they hit their deadlines, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. like, you know, he's the logistics guy. He runs the right. company. It's big. We don't have this like, when is there going to be a new Mac OS? Oh, right. we had, w w they had to delay it because they needed engineers to do the phone right. at one point. Yeah. You know, and that's, but it was from a, a coverage perspective, more, more yeah. entertaining. And Tesla is a very fun company, right? Yeah. Like it's a really weird thing. They just like totally screwed up. 
product demonstration, which yeah. is way more entertaining than having it go well. Right. right. So, right. you know, good for them. Well, and, and Apple used to have demos fail much more regularly in the Steve Jobs era <laughs> because I think they were more aggressive about them. And I was just talking yeah. to, I think, Joanna Stern about it recently. I think it was Joanna when she was on. And it was before her time in the Apple media crowd, but there was this this demo of an iPhone where the Wi-Fi went out on stage and Jobs <laughs> just didn't work. And Jobs came back and was like asking the media, like, he's like, you know why? The, I My my people told me why. It's because there's 587 <laughs> hotspots in this room right now. Shut them all down. If you're out there and you see someone with it, shut it down. And it's like way off script, right? And it was kind of right. scary to see angry Steve Jobs talking to, and it was a WWDC. <laughs> so I think there was like four or 5,000 people in the room. It's like, shut it down, shut them all down. And meanwhile, I'm in the press area and everybody still has their keyboards open. Everybody's no, nobody. Not, well, I don't think one person in the media closed their laptop because they're all, you know, either taking notes sure. or live blogging. It just didn't happen. But, you know, now yeah, it's been a long time since they've had a demo fail. I think the riskiest yeah. one that they've done in recent years uh, was the when they introduced the cellular Apple Watch. Do you remember yeah. this one? And they had the yeah. woman out standing in it on a canoe in the middle of a lake with and had like a yeah. super telephoto lens to to get her on mm -hmm. camera and she took a call from jeff williams live during the keynote on her apple watch while she was in the middle of a lake uh but you gotta bet she'd been out on that lake like for a month yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she's 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 living in the middle of the lake, calling yeah. people, right? I mean, it, yeah. you know, it's it's very uh, it very just efficient. it just seemed like in addition to the possible possibility of a technology failure, that there was the possibility of a balance failure, and she falls into the lake. You know, it was bad weather. Yeah, so bad weather. Lightning. You can't be out there if there's lightning. You know, it's there was there was, but you we never know. Like what was what was Plan F? Uh, yeah. You know, the, maybe there was a dozen people on different lakes all yeah. throughout America. Scale. Uh, what about this vape app ban? Did you see me write about that? Oh yeah, the vape. So this is right. So there, I this is I can tell I've become old because I didn't even know there were vape apps. No, me neither. <laughs> this is like oh, I, yeah, I'm totally. I I always use my phone to 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 vape. Um, you know, this is like, the, I think that like the app store, the centralized control, like. I, I, I believe what Apple says mostly that like this is good, this is good for consumers, it's easier for everybody. But then you get into these things like I hear such conflicting stuff about vaping, you know, from different mm -hmm. public health stakeholders. Yep. Uh, American Lung Association seems to have one view, uh, but a lot of you know people people I count do another because it's it's this complicated calculus, right? Like, does it displace harm by getting people to not smoke? you know, traditional cigarettes, or does it get new generations of young people on? It's like a really hard problem and not like within Apple's zone of expertise. Right. Right. And like I, this it, is not what they do as a right. institution, but they're deciding and it's, it's weird. I totally get the argument. Again, I've tried to emphasize in my take on it that I feel like it's a very close call. And it's, I, if you want me to always have a 100% black or 100% white yes or no take on every single thing. I am not the pundit <laughs> to read <laughs> or listen to. Uh, 
I feel like this one is like a sports instant replay where it's like, damn, I don't know if he's in inbounds or out of bounds. That is close. And like whichever way they come up with you, kind of, even if it was against what you wanted or what you squinted mm-hmm. the TV and see, I, I just feel like you have to admit this is kind of a close call because it's so all over the map, you know, that there's a reasonable source saying it's way safer than smoking and then there's other reasonable sources saying that this is incredibly dangerous and unknown and that these mysterious 42 deaths are so mysterious that you know we really don't even understand why these people are dead and that's terrifying isn't this actually what you what you want to have a government for right yes companies normally don't want to be regulated but in this case i would think you would want to say to congress or the fda or something be like look like a lot of people are yelling at me from both sides about this and like we don't care right like we we have no financial stake in this we legitimately just want to do the right thing but we want someone else to tell us what what that is right right? like this is we have an fda actually for for a reason right um and 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 they should make a decision yeah, and it's like I get I get the argument that you know one political party is a little bit more pro business and therefore a little wants in general wants regulations eased mm-hmm. and wants to minimize the number of them, uh, and that the other side maybe is a little more public policy focused and is a little bit more prone to more and tighter regulations. I get that argument. That's what the political process is supposed to iron out and and you should you know in the long run achieve a balance because if one side goes too far the other the public opinion should shift in the other party's favor that's the way it's supposed to work and, but the FDA in particular uh like along with the uh like the, the national highway standards and stuff like that like making sure that you're legally ensuring that you have the highest possible chance known to man of surviving a car accident should not be a political issue that it's like a triumph of engineering the way that, you know, the accidents that people can survive today compared to decades past. And, you know, being able to buy meat and know that it's, (laughs) there's a very high likelihood that it's not infected with E. coli because it's inspected by federal regulators whose only interest is in certifying that yes, indeed this fruit and produce and meat is, you know, free of, of contaminants. Yeah. That's a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it's just this is not, you know, say like this is just not like Apple's wheelhouse, yeah. right? Like correctly, yeah. you know. So I don't know. It's and, a, it's it's a weird one. And there, it's bizarrely uh, also a Trump issue because weeks ago Trump had latched on this, and apparently at the behest of his wife and daughter had come out as in as wanting to ban and i believe it was it is within the scope of the executive office's powers to issue yeah, a ban yeah, like this the, 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 the fda has yeah. this regulatory authority over tobacco and it's, right. it's a 2009 law right. uh, so they could have banned it trump said he was going to i yeah. guess because of melania's engagement with right. you know baron and his peers uh, and right. then there was this intense frankly idiotic lobbying pushback which showed him like polling that like all these single issue vape voters right. are supposedly out there and we're going to turn against him uh, but like it's a i don't know this is a technical issue he has a reasonable fda chair um that you some parts of the government are still being run by professionals and honestly this is like you need to ask the scientists and the 
public health people to take a take a look at it. And yeah. Trump's initial idea that the that the flavored ones, you know, yeah. really target a new market of teens. I mean, that sounded reasonable to me. It does to me Again, too. It's huh? not. It's not my like area but this this really is what we have regulatory agencies for um and yeah. it seemed strange for me for apple to jump the gun this way right even though t- taking the apps off like it's it's a reasonable idea but also it it seemed it seemed odd to me that there, nobody was quite pushing for it and it seems like the deaths are maybe related to like unreliable use of the mechanisms and black market stuff so it might be counterproductive and it's just like it's a hard question and i i don't know why they exactly felt they had to like dive into it yeah and it's far more controversial we're not talking about we're you and i aren't talking about vape at all let alone apple's relation to it if apple hadn't done this right it just wasn't even on my radar like you said i honestly i didn't even know there were such things as vape apps and then you know, then we're like, while right, I was so writing I my take I, on it, I didn't perceive that they were facing like a tidal wave of criticism over this. No, this, this no. Response. Although, who knows? I mean, maybe they have, I don't know, parents in the company who, who cared. Uh, my, my kid's four, so fortunately, yeah. he's not, he's not in the vaping demo quite yet. Oh, uh, mine is 15 going on 16, so he's right there. So there you and, go. I think my wife has said to him, <laughs> like a thousand <laughs> times, if I ever catch you vaping, you're dead. <laughs> Like, yeah, we, well, we need we need his take. He's he's the ex, uh, the relevant expert. On no, that. but there was like a thing in the newsletter from the parents last year. There was a scan. You know, a couple of kids got caught vaping in the bathroom, and it was a whole big thing. And oh my there god, there you go, there you go. And so yeah, of course they are. You know, it, it <laughs> but, the numbers are crazy. Don't do it, kids. It's, it's uh, well, the numbers are crazy. I I looked at these Pew Research numbers on their polling, and you know, again, Pew is pretty reputable and does you know re- regarded as a good pollster that. uh 2016, it was like 13% of 12th graders in the U.S. had reported vaping in the last 30 days. And in 2018, it was 27%. So going from 13 to 27% in two years is rather stunning. I mean, that's, that's it. And I think that's part of what made Apple do this is that vaping is this phenomenon, right? It is, right. and who knows where it's going. Whereas the comparison to alcohol, everybody knows what alcohol is. And I'm betting that the numbers, there's never been a two-year period where the number of 12th graders who've consumed alcohol in the last 30 years has doubled or halved. You know, it, it fluctuates. Yeah. And, you know, you know, marijuana is obviously getting more popular as it becomes legal in more places across the country and is therefore easier to obtain. And our society has more of a hands-off uh, approach to it, a decriminalization, if not outright legalization, et cetera. So of course that's going up, but not doubling in two years, you know, and alcohol is, you know, rather steady and it's a known, you know, it's around, right. It, whereas vaping is this phenomenon. And I feel like the phenomenal nature of it is partly what drove Apple to say, let's just wash our hands of it for now, at least until this settles down. Yeah. But I get, I get the complaints I do. And I get the argument that you know, we're all grown ass adults and we should be able to make our own decision. It's about stuff that's perfectly legal. You know, nobody's arguing right. that vaping is illegal. Um, and that therefore who's Apple to say that, you know, none of us should be able to use these apps and stuff like that. I totally get it, yeah, but I, mean, I totally get why. There's lots of, there's, there's lots of unhealthy stuff, you know, yeah. you can get with your phone yeah. for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> Like the news. <laughs> right. Sure. The news. <laughs> you know, it's like bad snacks. And I, I don't know. It, it's a weird one to me. I mean, the whole vaping policy issue is like larger, but it's it's interesting where a company, you know, 
yeah. feels the need to step in on something that isn't illegal. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really, and I'm very sensitive to it and hope that Apple, if they start walking this back to make some specific exemptions, I really hope that, that the hardware control angle where your people use these apps, like the ones from PAX, who mm-hmm. is apparently a top manufacturer, you can use the app to actually control the temperature and whatever else. And like, verif- you know, like you said, verify the, that the pods or whatever you put in the thing. I don't know. <laughs> But you can verify that it's a legit pod containing legit vaping source material. And apparently a lot of the problems, the health problems people have is with black market canisters or, you know. Anyway, there's no way for the company like that to to work around the lack of an app. Because, like, if you take away all of the porno apps, you can just go to Safari and get all of your pornography there. You know, you can ban, if you're, if you just want to know, read reviews of vaping canisters, you can just read them on the website on your phone. The lack of an app Uh doesn't keep you from doing it. Whereas if you want to control your, your little vaping device, it has to be through the app. And so I feel like that makes a difference. You know, in the HK Maps Live story from a few weeks ago, again, tying multiple threads together here at the end of the show, Mm -hmm. Apple and China, one of the reasons I know, I've talked to people at Apple uh, off the record about it, and they definitely, you know, one of the considerations that they took on this was that anybody with an iPhone in Hong Kong could access their website, and you can use the little feature to bookmark it as an app on your home screen. The experience of doing that is almost almost, if not completely indistinguishable from the HK Maps app that was in the App Store because the HK Maps app was really just a very thin wrapper around the website. And if anything, they thought maybe that would have been a reason that it should have been rejected in the first place is because they actually have a longstanding rule that if your app is just a wrapper around a website, it shouldn't be in the App Store. You should just let people use the website. Right, Um, right. There's no no substitute for this. There's no no workaround, so it's a bigger deal. Right. But there is any. So anyway, I hope we'll see how that plays out. I, that that about does it for my agenda for the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, we got on my, 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 my AirPods are yelling at me that they're running out right. of batteries. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's, always, that's always a good sign you've podcasted for a long time. There we go. Uh, Matthew Iglesias, you, everybody can uh, see your work at Vox.com, where I, I believe you're like a co-founder. You're, you're a, you know, if anything, I, I, you're I was, yeah. playing. Yeah, and you've been I'm writing about- i my own podcast called The Weeds. The weeds, but it's not about weed. Yeah. No, it's about it's about public public policy weeds. <laughs> there's an entire one of the things I found in the app store in terms of like what's allowed and what's not allowed is there's an entire subgenre of games where if you search for weed baron, where it's like your goal, it's like you know you run this it's iPhone games. I mean it's a, a category where you you are buying and selling marijuana and. You know, but they call it weed, I guess, to to keep it legal. <laughs> not not your podcast. Uh, the weeds is very different than the weed. <laughs> we're very very earnest. Politics, but yeah. Box dot com. Uh, Matt Iglesias on Twitter. Yeah. Can I tell you this? Can I just? I want to say I can't let the show end without saying it. That I I've been following your work forever. I mean, a long long time. I mean, it's just I know that we've sort of came about came up at the same time. In the early 2000s, in the early days of blogging, you know, you were blogging at mattyglacius.com, I believe, back in the yep, day. There you go. It was, you know, one of my daily, daily bookmarks, top, top three, four sites of the time, of the era. Um, ever since Twitter, though, every time I see your Twitter handle, and I know your name, I know that you are Matt. 
You, do you know yeah. what I mean? I keep looking at your Twitter handle, and I, for, this is now for like 13 years, and still to this day, I look at it and I think, Matty, I yeah. wouldn't have, I've, from what I know of Matt Iglesias, I would have never thought of him as a Matty. <laughs> no, it was a huge. Uh, you know, this is like one of these early questions. And, and when I when I launched my Twitter account, it, it, Twitter wasn't a big thing. And right. I, didn't, I didn't think it through. I should have been Matthew Iglesias. Yeah. Or just but Iglesias now, or. Uh, yeah, There's, right. Because I, I don't have a ton of competition for no. my, my weirdly spelled boss name. That's uh, that's the one thing I got going for me. Gruber is surprisingly popular. It's the number one surname in Austria, so I'm often in a race. I think I, there you go. I can usually get it on a U.S. service, and if it's international, okay. I, I lose out instantly. So yeah, just don't 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 go to the Austrian internet. Right, but anyway, not Maddie Iglesias, Matt Iglesias on Twitter. Also, an excellent excellent Twitter follow. Uh, one of my favorites by far. Uh, you're a ma- you're a master both of the short form and the long form. And uh, thank you so much. And anyway, I'll have to have you back someday because this was a lot of fun. Yeah, love to do it again. All right. All right. Thank you so much.